0: Greetings. And welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast, the show that helps marketers and entrepreneurs navigate the waters of brand building. I'm Alfred, your virtual marketing guide. Please keep your arms and legs inside an all time and enjoy the ride. Now, here is your host, Anthony.
1: What's up, listeners? Welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast, week two. I'm your host, Anthony Trevolante, bringing you another week of great content marketing conversations. If you didn't catch week one, please make sure to head back and hit subscribe to catch three, four, five, six, and so on. This week, I have a very amazing guest, Mr. BC Wayman, who is to sum it up, a generally all around great dude. But if you were to break it down, he's a podcaster. He's a business teacher at the Cleveland School of Cannabis. He's worked in corporate America. He's been a stand-up comic. He's an actor in background scenes all around the Midwest. So this guy is out doing it. He's all over the place. And the, uh, the most inspiring part of this is a lot of this didn't come till later in life for him. And he kind of shares that story with us about how he transformed into kind of chasing his bliss Um, But what we like to bring value-wise in this episode is, for those who don't know, I came from, I don't wanna say the film world, but my original objective was to be a filmmaker. Then I realized story and filmmaking and marketing can kinda go together as one, which is how Trav Media Group was created. But I have a lot of friends in filmmaking. I have a lot of freelance workers there and people trying to create their own content who just simply are not using social media like these other companies and corporations are, namely LinkedIn. So I inform BC about LinkedIn since he hadn't been using it at the time of this podcast. And we also go into how he gets jobs and things on Facebook. So if you are, a creative, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a business, this is going to be a really valuable episode to you. In the episode, I go through a list of contacts I can make at Netflix just through LinkedIn. So, if you're someone trying to pitch content, if you're someone trying to get jobs, make connections, this could be a really great episode for you. BC, thank you for coming to the podcast.
2: Uh, as always, Anthony, it's always fantastic to catch up with you, and uh, I really appreciate it a lot. Uh, I'm excited to help you help me help you. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't want to totally timestamp us, but we actually have spoke to—I don't know when each episode will come out to each other—but I actually was on your podcast, um, which you'll you'll plug here in this podcast, talking with another guest on my podcast too. So now we're just making this trifecta of podcasting, <laughs> trying to provide ultimate value. But this is going to be real cool. I'm I'm excited to uh, have us have you on here because what a lot of what I want to accomplish in this episode is to kind of go back to. Where I came from, Um, if as many, if anyone doesn't know, I kind of started in this as a filmmaker um, and then worked my way into marketing and kind of using my skills and other avenues. But for me, um, marketing isn't much different than making movies. You're just telling stories of brands. You're using the same archetypes. You're using all this stuff. But most importantly, I think the tactics of content marketing are exactly what filmmakers and actors should be doing. So I hope to get to the bottom of that with BC today. So BC, before we get rolling, why don't you give the people a little bit of intro on who you are and what you do? Um, so so many things to talk about.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, well can tie in a lot to the balance between, uh, business world and creative world, uh, which I've dipped my toes into both and realized how important they are to be, uh, combined together. Uh, So my name is BC Wayman, letter B, letter C. It stands for Brian Christopher. It's not a secret mystery, by the way. Everyone seems to think it stands for something way more cooler than it is. I was going
1: to ask (laughs) ask what it stood for, because I actually was thinking today, like, I don't know what it stands for, but it's like, I don't want to defile the mystery.
2: (laughs) I felt like that. Sometimes I used to be, and it's just, it's my name is Brian Christopher Wayman. It's uh, that on my birth certificate. Sometime, I don't know, a while ago, it's just started catching and I thought it was cool. And I just stuck with it and it became a thing. Right. And that's so simple of an origin story, but I have been known to, if I meet a random person and I probably feel I'm never going to have that interaction with them again, to totally do like a band's name and like make up an origin story to it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's how it happened. Right. It was, I was just really Christian and it was before Christ and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, no. So you just make stuff up sometimes. Um, but it's no way. It was
1: your tag team wrestling name at one point, like before yes. you did all this. You were like an indie wrestler.
2: Uh, BC, yes, exactly. BC and AC. <laughs> There's all these things you can create, but it really does. And to speak to that, it does allow me sometimes. My wife calls me Brian. Obviously, my parents call me Brian. Some people call me Brian. Uh, more people call me BC than Brian. But I will say there is a a doppelganger side to it, right? It does allow me to sometimes unleash like my inner creative side like it is a different persona sometimes and that's fun that's fun and interesting but i currently uh i guess i'm a self-employed entertainer for lack of a better term um i'm a host on three separate podcasts wayward sports and behind the dock which are both out right now and wayward planet which is the one i'm most excited for the one that you and dustin were on recently um and it's launching very soon here so it'll be available early june is just like long form interviews, right? Getting to know people, kind of like this, picking their brains and just talking to them on a variety of subjects. Um, And on top of that, uh, I do a lot of other than things to help pay the bills, right? I spend a lot of time doing a lot of jobs in front of groups of people, which is difficult right now in COVID-19 times. So that's why we sit behind microphones and talk. Uh, But I work as a DJ. Uh, I work as an actor, Uh, like infomercials, like a lot of training videos, which is mostly what's available in Northeast Ohio. Um, And I do other odd jobs, writing and small things to pay the bills. So all that requires a lot of hustle, a lot of grind, a lot of constantly putting yourself out there in a sea of a bunch of other people trying to make it. And prior to this, prior to my essentially kind of a midlife crisis, this all started by the way, Anthony, when I was 40 years old, right? Prior to being 40, I spent 15 years as a marketing sales director and buyer for two different small retail chains. Right, going in Monday through Friday, nine to five, looking at sales statistics, arguing with people, seeing if I can save a few bucks off a parcel of beer versus, uh, you know, next month negotiating with vendors, uh, you know, contracts for dumpsters, all those kind of fun things is what the majority of my life has been spent doing. So it's been an interesting transition from business to creative.
1: How did that, that career of like this, you know, negotiation and price, how did that play in or? negotiation and marketing, how did that play into helping you become this entertainer?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of it in the comfortability of talking to people, right? I did spend a lot of time. I hosted a lot of group sessions. I focused a lot on employee management as well. So just a lot of time interacting with people and it helps to, you know, if you're a naturally an introverted person, I realize it's more difficult, but I think part of it is just reaching out, talking to people. It is a bit innate in me. I mean, I'm a bit of a Of an extrovert, clearly I'm a talker kind of person. Um, But there is unrefined talking, right? Just talking about whatever, or swearing profusely, or not knowing how to adjust the flow of conversation by who you're talking to, right? Buying versus selling; those are two different conversations. It's still conversating. It's still talking to someone. It's still always uh, working with them and trying to make sure you get your win. When in your win, in this case, would be a lower price for you, so you can make more profit. In that they feel like they get their win, like they maintain your business and they also feel like they did on their job, right? Because when you have two salesmen, it's a competition. Both wanna get the best deal for their company, but both know, and I think, or at least the smart salesman knows, the other side is also doing the same thing. So it's anti-pride, it's anti-ego, it's having a conversation, it's being okay with letting people uh, you know, take the win with listening to other people, following directions. How does that tie into now? Well, if you're, say, an actor, right? If I'm on set and I have directors, I have people always telling me what to do. Sit down, stand up, talk this way, act this way. It's a fun job. It's a creative job. I'm pretending really freaking hard, Anthony. But that entire time, someone's telling me what to do. What time do I have to show up? What do I have to wear? How do I have to act literally and figuratively? Uh, Say it again, say it again, say it again. Do it this way, look this way, sit down, stand up. It is constantly not being treated like a child, but kind of, right? Someone's always, yeah. but there's that fine line, right? There's that fine line of, and this is what, and we can talk about this a lot, that transition from business to creative and how sometimes they lack is that there's a professionalism to it, right? I've had directors who are running the show like a business and everyone's polite and it's there. And I have some who are petulant child, <laughs> adult petulant adults, I should say, right? Throwing tantrums, stomping their feet, uh, these type of things, right? And no one wants to be treated that way. So I think what I have, and I tell this to everyone, I do not have the most talent by far. I am not as talented as others. What I lack in talent, I believe I try to make up for in both like hustle, like, you know, just grind, but most importantly, professionalism. I think that's an under underlooked field in the creator at aspect um or social skill in the creative field is professionalism right being on time how to talk to people how to sell yourself all these things uh get overlooked uh in that kind of field not by everyone but it seems a decent majority
1: yeah it's uh that's kind of it's funny that you say like i'm not the best because i think that's a, a like that's something i say too and i think it's something you reach as a, a creator when you start working professionally because you realize that so much of what you do isn't the creative aspect of it. You know, it's, it's, it's like even understanding a customer is like something early in my journey um, of marketing. It's like, you know, when you're working with someone else, whether it's a director or a producer, um, you're not always going to get what you want, you know, and you have to be okay with, taking that loss or seeing it from a different perspective and then like kind of digging deep in and utilizing those tools. But I actually didn't know you didn't start doing any of this till you were um, later in life 40. Did you always want to kind of do this and it was a matter of taking that first step or was just, just kind of like a, I'm going to switch it up big time.
2: Uh, well here now you get to, we, I started in the beginning with the pulling back, the, the reveal, the fourth curtain, uh, revealing the the true name, uh, my alter ego. Let's go to the real super origin story of creative BC Wayman. Yeah. So uh, I had done it for a long time. Um, I worked in the corporate world. I started out, like I went to college, right? I went to college, Otterbein, at the time college, now university outside Columbus, Ohio. Um, I had a good time there. Wasn't a great student by any stretch. I was a very, very poor student. Uh, So I got a job early as a movie theater manager at a little sixplex, probably unqualified, but hey, I was 21, so I could show up on time. Uh, And I just turned that into about an eight-year career of managing movie theaters, including moving to Pittsburgh, moving to Chicago for a few years to manage them. Uh, Along the way, family happens, right? And so movie theater managers are hard hours it's a lot of nights it's a lot of weekends uh it never shuts down 365 days a year christmas christmas eve thanksgiving so it becomes harder when you have kids and by chance um i had left the movie theater management went to standard management um and then by just a networking someone i knew knew someone i knew right <laughs> which is sometimes how things work out uh i was asked to interview or i don't know how it worked out exactly for a job at the leukemia lymphoma society right nonprofit fundraising 100% out of my wheelhouse. But I think once again, having just a little bit of, you know, false confidence in yourself and going forward, I wanted to get out of these nights and these weekends and these Saturdays and Sundays and Black Friday sales and constant customer interaction to do something a little different. And so that was my first transition into an office job, which was really interesting that. Going from retail management, like those hours in that day where you're on a floor of like the retail as a manager, it's the same job every day. You show up and you have to do things, but every day is a little different. You have different customers, you have different employees. And so you're always trying to maintain a semblance of repetition with different uh, characters, which can be hard. Uh, And then the office job became a whole different mindset, though, right? It's a set schedule, it's Monday through Friday, it's eight to five. Uh, But I fell in love with that. And that is the first place. I got to stretch my creative muscles. Besides being involved in movie theaters and watching a lot of films, uh, I started as a fundraiser, as a campaign manager with children. And I'm pretty good with kids. I'm a silly bloke even back then, and this would be late twenties, early thirties. Um, but I had to do uh, what's what we're looking for: uh, presentations in front of elementary, middle school, and high school kids. Something I'd never done before, but it was with the job, so I had to schedule them and showed up, and we had this script for lack of a better term. And over the course of four years, I did about 500, about a hundred a year, give or take. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. Not presentations, assemblies, assemblies in front of large groups of people. And that was probably the first time that I realized I like, I like that reaction, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? There's a reaction to yeah. a live crowd that I loved. So at, while there, I started to I don't know how this, I don't know exactly know the details, but at some point I said, I think I can do stand-up comedy. So I went to an open mic night, started doing stand-up comedy. So I was doing assemblies in front of children during the day. And then I would spend my nights in dive bars telling dirty jokes. And so for mo- that several years, morning job was telling stories in front of groups of people, fun time hobby was telling jokes and stuff in front of people. And I was not funny and I didn't put the work in <laughs> as much as I could because I was trying to also work a day job, which is an excuse nonetheless, but that was a big part of it. So then I went through several jobs. I had another job. I got laid off. It was my first time being laid off, which really hurt my love of corporate. I was at a job for three years, which I thought I would retire from, 100%. I was probably 34, 35, 35. Uh, I just had my last two children, my twins, and I was set. I never, I thought I'd worked until I was 70 and I was going to retire and I would just be s- spending my time designing planograms, working with clients, uh, to help sell their stuff better. And I got laid off and it really, <sighs> I haven't told this story in a while. It really, um, I'm going to get emotional here on you, Anthony. It really changed my life because I realized I trusted, I don't know how to say this, be careful, because I do believe there's a spot for every job. I put all my effort and trust into someone else to take care of me. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely does.
2: And so when they laid me off, um, I don't know, it just shocked me because I didn't see it coming either, right? There was layoffs happening and other people got laid off and this is the selfish version of me. It was like, oh, I get that, which is a douche move to say to thing. I mean, it's an awful thing to say, but it's how I was at the time. And then I got another job and I did that for the last seven years. That was a sales director, buyer for a small retail chain. A lot of time, you know, on the phone. But I found over the course of that job, I just spent all my time selling someone else's stuff. I, I was really into selling and marketing and things I still talk about today in a variety of industries, but I was always someone else's stuff and stuff I had no investment in, stuff I had no passion for. So at 40 years old. As luck would have it uh, in this time frame, our company sold again. So two jobs in seven years swiped out from underneath me, uh, both which I thought I'd probably make a career out of. So, and I was, they sold to a, to a national chain and I was offered a relocation. It sounded like this, but my passion, it was gone. Uh, and I was extremely, uh, I was extremely um, not living a healthy lifestyle at the time. So I was like 250 pounds. I was not healthy. I was chain smoking, drinking heavily. So my life was in shambles <laughs> around 40. Uh, and so I just made a conscious effort that like I can, you know amid the the halfway point, maybe maybe not, and uh I should do something to take advantage of all these skills I have and combine my ability, which I think it's an ability to talk in front of people, to talk like I'm doing now with minutes and minutes without interruption, uh and my comfortability in front of groups of people, right that's an often skill that people always say. Uh, public speaking is a huge fear. I don't have that. And then combine that with my professional skill sets that I have picked up of managing people, dealing with clients, how to talk professionally, how to dress for the occasion, how to look, how to act. And then over the last four years, trying tons of different things, um, I have found that I've been able to blend the two. Interestingly enough, when I first started, trying to be creative and I was trying to do all these things. And there's a whole bunch of things I did, which are not important, but I rejected professionalism, right? I went all into creative savant mode, right? Where just, it was all about the creativity in like, not the man, you know what I mean? I kind of made the man like a job and a dress code, but I found as I was doing okay at certain aspects, the people that were falling off were the ones who were late, who were unable to Uh, you know, kind of hold good conversations with other people on set in polite ways, you know, act, you know, like a child sometimes when things don't go their way. Or, and then I noticed the people who were rising were also the people who were uh, promoting themselves more, talking about themselves, even if, and this goes goes all the way back to what you said, even if it wasn't great. They're like, hey, this is what I made, check it out. And you just kind of get positive praise and you get some criticism. You're like, cool, I'm going to make something else. And that's when it became, it's not so much. And I was so scared to release whatever things I wanted to make because I didn't want criticism and I thought it wasn't good enough. And then it became, get it out there, tell people it's out there and just keep going. All right? Just keep going. And that has kind of, and there's been a lot of failures and, you know, failures are just stepping stones for future success, but there's been a ton of failures along the last four years. But yes, this. Has been a last all-in intensive. My wife is very patient with me. Five-year journey of creativity, trying to maximize fifteen, twenty years of business world, with acting a fool sometimes.
1: <laughs> wow, that's a. I really appreciate you sharing that whole story because I think that's so, so many things you've gone through is so relatable to so many people, especially happening right now. I mean, you have that that idea because that's something I. I think about, which is why I've decided to start my own business is like, I never want anyone else to have their hand on the wheel, you know? And it's like, there's a lot of people now who have lost their jobs and things because of this COVID stuff going on. So I think, you know, that's a super relatable thing. And the other thing that that was echoing through your story is just that idea of awareness. Um, It's really inspiring to hear you continue to build on what you, you know, like realize certain things. Cause I think a lot of people cash out or check out before they, they totally come to realization. Cause I mean, like even, I guess it's to use myself as an example. I couldn't have told you when I was 18 or 20 or 24, even that I was going to do cannabis marketing, you know, that I was going to do, this is how it was all going to play out. But now here I sit, you know, much like yourself. And it makes so much sense. It's like, you see all these like, Oh, I worked at this company that did this. And I was in a band and stuff that did this. Cause I'm actually like, speaking of the introvert extrovert thing, I'm an introvert. And it was like, I've, Still to this day, I have more like trouble doing certain things. But when it comes to entertaining and business, it's a totally different switch. So for me, it was like playing music was the first thing I did in front of an audience. Um, But that started when I was 14. And it's like that. It's like even like now it's like being on a podcast. I talk way differently than even I would be at a bar or something sometimes. I think now I say that more internally. I'm sure now I'm known by a lot of people as the guy who chats a lot. But it's like something I've had to work my way out of. Um, but again, it's using those those experiences. Um, but it's also cool to hear that you didn't hate what you did and you kind of moved it into this. What was your first big like acting um, experience that really like got you focused on that sector of your life?
2: Uh, well, let's see. So acting, just to kind of take it back. So I never realized and the sounds, there's a lot of things I guess I didn't realize only because I never put thought into it, right? I never realized that the people that are behind all the actors that you see on television are actually very poorly paid actors. Does that make sense? I never realized background actors existed. Like, not that they were computer generated, but I never really focused. So as you're trying to launch yourself into a world of creativity and try to find things that you can do that take advantage of your skill sets, it comes down to getting to know people. So, uh, I did a few jobs, and uh, one of the things I do, which I will promote here, because I think it's a fantastic job if you're just looking for a part-time job and you like to entertain, which is a standardized patient. Do you know what that is, Anthony?
1: You actually were the first person to tell me about that, but I've told several of my actor friends about it since, so I'd love to hear your uh, your presentation of it.
2: Well, just real quick, because I think it ties into, this is a job that I was on, as you enter this creative world, right, and we're locally here in Northeast Ohio, but every town, every city has it, whether it's New York or whether it's, you know, a super small town in Mississippi, they all have little creative communities and you tend to run into people again and again at situations. So in those moments, and if you say you're more introverted, like you are, Anthony, it can be tough. But in those moments of groups, you have the opportunity to every new group, reinvent yourself, right? If you're coming into a new situation, they don't know who you are. Like, so you have the opportunity to once again, put your best foot forward, put whoever you want to be in front of them um, because they don't know you at all. So you can just hopefully use that if you're more introverted to try and speak up. And I know it's hard sometimes. So that's uh, something to be said, but maybe sometimes even standing and listening versus participating. But in a group session where, I don't know what type of job I was doing. um, And I met someone who said, hey, have you ever standardized patient? I "I don't know what that is. Uh, And it turns out that, Most of the hospitals, most of the – in our area and then everywhere across the country hire people, um, 15, 20 bucks an hour kind of job to pretend to be sick or pretend to be some sort of ailment and work with student doctors, right? Student doctors have to work with real people at some point, so you do these days, and it requires odd – odd availability Monday through Friday, typically school time hours, eight through five, typically, which people with a standard nine to five job can not do. So it works great for creative folks. I know a lot of, I would say primarily everyone I know that works there is either some sort of entertainer, a lot of musicians, by the way, like yourself, because they play at night. So it's a little job to do during the day. A lot of actors, once again, even some retirees uh, or people who are, uh, you know, stay at home, second income kind of earners. So you go and you're there for like six hours and you'll see like seven students and you'll repeat this same case seven times in a row of what your back hurts. And they go through an interview and then they're watched in, by their teacher and given a grade. Um, or sometimes you're just a, a, a model, right? You've just got a shoulder pain. And for six hours, student doctors are tweaking your shoulder or doing ENTs. That's a rough day when you get the ear, nose and throat like 13 times in a row and you're like, ah, and they're in your ear and up your nose. That's a, harder one, um, or even psychological cases like bipolar disorders and things. So it's a great little job. And while they're talking, cause there's a little waiting room and people are doing this and they're all entertaining folks. Someone says, Hey, have you ever like been in a background actor? I'm like, no. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You got to go on Facebook. I'm like, I don't have a Facebook. I don't do social media. So I was very anti, and I was much more into social media in my other job, I was bored. I'd be on social media mostly during my nine to five job, particularly near the end, to pass time during my day, right? I was not being productive, not being efficient. I had checked out mentally already because I was losing faith. And as we talked about, I wanted to be my own thing and I just was losing faith in someone guiding my journey. So they're like, you got to get on social media. I'm like, okay. So I signed up for a Facebook account, and turns out a lot of entertainers use Facebook. A lot of acting agencies and casting agencies and local filmmakers all use Facebook, which we'll talk about here in a minute, to network, to get out to people, to post, hey, we need actors for this. Um, This whole world existed that I had no clue of. So I started, I guess, signed up for my first background acting job, which you want to talk about professionalism, particularly if it's a large scale one. So if it's a big one, like my first one was a LeBron commercial uh, filmed here in Cleveland for Nike, I believe. And it's 300 extras. It's all day. You're very low on the totem pole. People come to background acting with, with dreams of stardom, dreams of meeting <laughs> LeBron. Oh no, they're like, "Where's LeBron at?" Like you are there from 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. LeBron shows up at 10:30 and is gone by 11:30. Right? Yeah, like right. that's how it works. And then there's another guy who kind of looks like LeBron, who's actually doing all the dribbling and stuff while the crowd's reacting. Yeah. He comes. Were you in, at
1: the? Were you at the real quick? Were you at the rain shoot I, in Cleveland?
2: Probably. I've done four of them, so I'm not sure. Is
1: it the, is it the one where it was raining in the house and they destroyed all the cameras and everything?
2: I don't think so. I was one that was, was that one, freezing. Now, that I don't was, think I was at that one.
1: Okay, that one was like, it's like everyone just says that was like the commercial from hell because it was cold and like they had water. It's that one where he's like in his living room and it's raining and then he's like at the press box and it's raining, but. Never mind. Not to cut yeah. you off, but I was just wondering if your story would continue with that.
2: No, I know which one you're talking about. I was not at that one. Uh, the worst LeBron commercial I did. And it's not him. I should say it's just these Nike commercials because Gabby Douglas, the gymnast, was also in Cleveland, and we shot at the Natural History Museum. And it was uh, so it was filmed, and it was this commercial kind of when he was coming back to Cleveland. Um, and we filmed outside. They shut down the streets in Cleveland. Uh, this downtown made a basketball court. It's freezing outside, super cold, but they wanted it to be spring-like, and everyone's wearing Nike tracksuits. So there's 250 people in these Nike track suits, all of us in gray. So it's impossible to see anyone because we're all in gray-on-gray, gray, monochromatic Nike. By the way, the most comfortable sweatsuit I've ever worn. They're like $100 for a top and 100 for a bottom, which I've never bought. Really, is
1: it the Nike ones? I, we, we, gotta, so we were talking to Adidas or Puma over no. here, but that might be the Nike one.
2: These Nike things, and I don't know what they were. I don't know the brand or the exact model. They were the most comfortable sweat outfit I've ever worn. Like, it was so comfortable, and it kept you pretty warm on a day when it was freezing. And they wanted you not okay. to wear your coats. I'm like, don't wear your coats. Mind you, this is a type of day where there's a dude with a, um, a uh, like, a blowtorch hooked up to a propane tank who has to, because there's 10 uh, young gentlemen playing five-on-five basketball, shirts on skins, by the way, and it was about 10 degrees, who's blowtorching the concrete between takes so the young actors don't slip on the ice that's forming between takes. And five <laughs> of those poor guys are out there without shirts who would immediately put on, like, thick jackets. And that's when hey, no, I— do put your I, coats on. Yes. And literally, LeBron rolls up, once again, not uh, indicative on him, but when you get all mad for the sports fans who get mad that uh, Baker Mayfield or whoever your favorite sports star spends too much time filming commercials, here's the reality. His SUV rolls up at about 10.30— he does a few lines for about two hours and in between takes, he's all huddled up and then he's gone, two hours. We shot until about 8 p.m. doing these takes. They had to run up. We ran, all of us at every corner. We had to run up 10 times and then they filmed in CGI to make it seem like thousands of people were showing up because LeBron showed up at a basketball game, right? So when you get mad that your sports stars spend too much time marketing, it's not a lot of effort on their part. Not to say they don't work hard, But it's not like they're there. No, they
1: set the day up for them. They know they're – it's like the star of the show. you know. Yeah,
2: they roll in, do their thing, and there is a guy, and I think it's the same one, who looks a lot like LeBron, who is his stunt double. And most of the shots of the dribbling and the interactions and the crowd, it's all that stunt double or that body double there, right? LeBron's the only one talking his face to the camera. The rest of the time, it's some other guy dunking the ball and shooting the ball.
1: They hired my buddy, uh, Litho, for the last LeBron thing they did in town with Kevin Durant, and he was Kevin Durant's stand-in. Yeah, <laughs> it was, uh-huh. but it was in a car, so he wasn't—he didn't even need to be as tall as him. They just had like similar skin complexions and stuff. But
2: um, oh, there's a whole separate uh, thing being a stand-in. I did that for like 19 days on a film recently. Um, anyway, so on um, background acting is you notice there are people who are, and they tell you to be there super early, and it's a mass chaos, right? There's a lot of people, but What happens is these people who are casting these know that there's a higher 300 and about 100 are going to tap out. But the ones that can make it through, you start to form connections. And when you leave, right, because you got to get paid and you got a little invoice, you got to wait in line. If you can make it through these whole boring long days, if you can have patience and professionalism, they're like, hey, thank you a lot. And then you submit again for another one because there's usually something filming you tend to get a call more often than if you were the person who bailed early or who complained or who wrote a nasty email or who went on Facebook and said, yo, I worked for this company. They blow. They suck. I was miserable. That's not going to get you hired again. So that led to more things. And then I started, if it's filmed in Cleveland or Pittsburgh in the last three years, I've randomly been in the background, uh, though no screen time at all, (laughs) um, which led to more and more ability of, As you spend more time on set and you watch how people act and people behave, you're like, okay, I think I can do this. And I always call it pretending hard because that's what it really is. Uh, I just like, I think I can do this. And and it started auditioning for local films, student films, great place to get started if you're looking to be an actor because they have all the best equipment. Um, They're looking to make a quality production, especially senior thesis films and such. So they put a tremendous effort. They have a whole crew of uh, people, of students that are working for their grades to graduate. So those are great experiences to get lines, which led to uh, kind of my first real commercial, uh, which was pretty exciting, like a training video. A lot of training videos in Cleveland, like not a lot of like Hollywood lines, but a lot of industrial film. Once again, something I never thought of, something I know you've dealt with. I never realized you could make a career Uh, a decent career, you know, working on training videos, industrial videos, uh, all that type of stuff as an actor, right? Those type of things, even simple things of just pointing at things and standing behind people. Um, So that was a day where I went, that was awful. I went to Columbus and it was a, it was a, it was a good day. We were shooting outside. It was for like a construction equipment company. So large, large, like earth movers, right? I know nothing about large earth movers. Uh, and so we were doing a training video of uh, fatalities on the job like what happens if you don't pay attention. So all of our lines were about an accident that had happened and we had all these statistics about these large earth moving things that I knew nothing about. And it's super bright um and I learned they have all these like you know they work on the lighting so they put these really reflective things underneath you and the light just shines into your eyes and it's hard to see and they're showing you a screen, this poster board which they're writing stats on so you can remember them. And As you talked about, I don't think that's my best work ever, but we all just, and it was raining that day and everyone was miserable and it was super muddy. And I was in these borrowed boots because I didn't have boots that were three sizes too big. And it was like, I was wearing clown boots the whole day. You just push through, all right? You just push through. And what happens? I get another job from that company like two months later. Not because I'm super, super talented or I know a lot about earth movers. I showed up on time. I was polite on set. I complimented them on the food, which wasn't, you know, it was okay food. It was a box lunch. It was awesome. Thank you so much for feeding me. Even though they were, you know, paying me, and it was. You gotta feed
1: your people when you don't pay them.
2: You gotta feed your people but, when you don't pay them. You still choose. Uh,
1: yeah, I was but, just saying. I just did a shoot where like they were like, "Oh, you don't have to feed us and stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, I do." Never mind. I, those is my two cents. But no,
2: it always is. A hundred percent. I just talked with a filmmaker recently on Wayward Planet, and we were discussing she's like I like to pay even if it's 50 bucks or 25 dollars because it adds a sense of worth to it but at minimum you got to feed them and it can't always be pizza don't take the easy route out right like mm-hmm. it can't always be pizza you know potluck dinners ask people to even actors hey we're gonna have a potluck lunch everyone bring a casserole
1: You'd or pasta be- like it's a nice warm pot plate of pasta it's sure really easy to whip up yeah, um, yeah and also I also do like a little gift a lot of times like this last shoot we did was at a smoke shop. So I like had a little pack. I gave everyone like a $15 credit to the store and lunch, you know, so little things matter,
2: little things matter. And so a lot of it came then in most of my jobs then have come from being as good as I can in whatever I'm doing, clearly admit, and we talk about self-awareness and that's something, um, I do. And I even mentioned I teach and this is how I met you, Anthony. So I teach classes at the Cleveland School of Cannabis. Once again, that comes back to I'm stuck in this time frame of post 40 trying to figure out what to do. I'm being creative and it's fun. But damn it, if I do not have 20 years of professional skills that are being wasted, but I don't want to go in and start Doing something for someone else, or something I don't have an interest in, or a passion about, or even think is kind of cool. That's how the cannabis thing came about. I just started going on Indeed and saying cannabis jobs Cleveland, cannabis jobs Cleveland, and it was nothing, nothing, nothing. You heard about the impending uh, medical legalization? Something's got to come. So, and I still do tip my toe into like the cannabis marketing and consulting biz for a couple companies. Same vibe, right? Taking advantage. Finally, one day, the Cleveland School of Cannabis popped up. I was like, what is this? This can't be legit, as most people think when they see it. But <laughs> well, that's not real. In uh, business teacher, like business teacher, right? And that's funny enough, when I went and I've been there since they opened, they had very few people applying to be business teachers. They had people applying out the wazoo to be horticulture teachers and um, people who are super, super knowledgeable. And I've met some amazing folks who are way more knowledgeable about the plant than I ever ever can hope to be, but what they what we found is people come into the school brilliant about the plant and the strains and even the terapines knowledge and the cannabinoids and all this stuff, but they're like, how do I, you know, market my product or how do I start a business or uh, look, man, I'm just going to show up in my tie-dye and flip-flops for every job interview. I don't care how it is or any of these things, right? And we still hear those complaints in our industry about the dispensaries and the, the patient specialists of just having poor customer service and things. All of that tied into trying to find a way to take advantage of like professional skills. So whatever you're into, whether it is cannabis, which seems like this fun thing that you shouldn't have to do business stuff, but I have made it a point, though I have relaxed over the last little bit, <laughs> early on, especially every class I taught, I wore a suit and tie, every single one. Why? Define expectations. We talk a lot about destigmatizing things. Uh, and most of our students were in there and then um, were dressing up really casually. And I f- noticed if I kept dressing up nicer, some of the students would slowly start acquiescing to that and would begin to start dressing up a little bit themselves, right? Less hoodies, more like polo shirts. It's a weird vibe when you start to ooze, try and ooze and force professionalism on them in a non-verbal way how mm-hmm. subtle tips people pick up. And I know that's kind of off the path, but it is related. Both of those fields, entertainment and cannabis seem like they should not require the professional skill set of a, of an accountant or a marketer, but it's vital, right? I mean, to bring it back yeah, around absolutely. to our, to our topic.
1: Yeah. It's, that's, I, I was just thinking how much they relate. I've never even really put that connection together, but I think the passion, one of the passions me and you share obviously is helping people in these industries that don't like, you know, film or cannabis that don't look at it, that don't think about professionalism. And like I think what I've been thinking quite a bit about lately is to me, what I've come to understand about professionalism is like it a lot of times, like you even said earlier in your career, it was like, oh, I don't want the man coming down on me and stuff. But like really what professionalism is, is like more is is a process to get better results. Because like a lot of success is just repetition. You know, it's not like yeah, anyone like all filmmakers and all all creators have their day where they make their masterpiece, but if you're going to be a marketer, you know, you have to be consistent and you have to keep putting in the work day after day after day, and I think professionalism allows for a lot of that cuz even dressing, you know, there's a lot of research that's been done on the way you dress often affects how you are, almost like a character in a play. They've done studies on nurses and cops where it's like when you put that uniform on, you kind of assume a different role. So like a lot of the dress code and the way things were or are come from this sense of like it's not trying to tell you hey you can't be you and be individualized or there's probably companies that do overcross that line but it's more of hey this is more of an even playing field to make sure we come in and we're at the same atmosphere we're, we're producing the same way you know even with you know that's the difference between growing weed in your basement and growing weed professionally is it's a nine to five job and these plants are going 24 seven and you have huge quotas you have to meet and you have to make sure you deliver to patients. And there's a lot more people who are on the line. Whereas when you were just having fun in your basement, you know, that's a hobby. Um, so I think it's cool to hear these kind of similarities coming together, but to kind of get into the content now that we have a lot of this backstory, um, going on how do you find some of these jobs and kind of like what is the landscape of Facebook like as an actor slash creative?
2: So it was God. it's been a learning curve, which sounds makes me feel like my grandma or something. But I'm like, I, don't, I had to learn how to do Facebook. But I did. I had to learn how to um, let me start over. I had to learn how to do Facebook professionally, not go on Facebook and rant yep. about whatever you're on, which that's not my style. I'm not a post about my life. I don't put I still don't Really, put any personal posts out there? Very rarely. Never post my family on there. It's just that's my. I'm more of a private person. Oddly enough, talking publicly, but those things are you know privately to me. So I had to learn how to use a personal Facebook account in a professional manner, and that's. And so I started going in, and the first thing was these groups, which I had no idea what a Facebook group was. So there's these groups, and it turns out there's probably about thirty just in Northeast Ohio film community. Uh, probably need to consolidate a few of these, to be honest with you, Um, of people of like-minded individuals. And I know people who are like, I know what a Facebook group is, but I didn't, I didn't know at 41 years old what a, what it was. It's these like-minded individuals who are together for a cause, usually sometimes self-promotion, sometimes working to get other people involved. So someone had found me. And once again, talking to someone and I said, I'm anti-social media. I don't do that stuff. I don't go on there and complain about politics or complain about the world or post pictures of every meal I have. And they're like, that's not what you're doing here. You're connecting with people who are, have jobs to offer you. And Jobs could be uh, volunteerism, such as speak as a, being an actor in a student film, but they have opportunities we'll say versus jobs for you to do creative endeavors. I'm like, what? You just have to know where to go. So mine started with this introduction, and I think one of them was like Ohio Film Group. Um, but just Googling or going, I guess, in the Facebook search bar of, you know, Ohio Film, you'd find several ones. So I just joined, 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 joined. Some of them were entry right away. Some of them required an, an admin to uh, let you in. Some of them make you answer questions, I guess, to test your your truth? I don't know. That's a weird one. Sometimes, They're like,
1: yeah, I've seen those. Like, th- I've seen them more on like Grateful Dead groups, where it's like you have to answer like heady questions to prove, or like bands, or like fan clubs and stuff like that.
2: They also exist in the film community, and I think the biggest reason is, and probably for some of the other ones too. Uh, funny enough, I'll tell you a story about the Grateful Dead one because I tried and got denied. Um, is to avoid constant promotion. Right to avoid people coming in there to right. just self-promote and not contribute. I was working for, I was working for a company and we had a a product that may be attuned to that kind of group, a Grateful Dead group. So I tried to join under the company's name. I didn't really understand it as much, and they're like, they kind of rejected me. And they're like, we don't want your stuff in here to sell it, which is all I wanted to do. I just <laughs> wanted to join that group to promote this product because I thought it would work with a Grateful Dead-minded group because it had a logo yeah. on it. But they denied me because they knew my intention was unpure. (laughs) So the filmmaking's groups are similar, right? And they're not, I've never been denied and I don't know what I've ever answered, but it's basically, you know, just a little bit just to make sure you're legit. So- Yeah,
1: like a a CAPTCHA almost, a little more advanced.
2: Yeah, just to make sure you're human and just to make sure, once again, and it is a lot of self-promotion in them, um, but it turned out these groups would then have people who would start posting. And then a lot of the- Professional casting groups, including all of the professional casting agencies in Cleveland, which uh, is really Lillian Pyle, Angela Boehm's are the two main ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Pittsburgh uh, Film Casting and Nancy Mosser out of Pittsburgh. Uh, There's one more escaping me. So those ones you joined also in any time they have a job coming up in a lot of its last minute the next day and they're looking for extras and background extras. That's where they post it at. That's where you find out. And you're, you're on there and they're like, it's a big long list of, still, we'll start with background and the professional ones. Someone like Angela Bones, Liam Pyle or any of the other ones um, will post, hey, Friday, blank date, uh, f- morning session because you never know quite when it starts. We're looking for all these groups of people, right? Men, women, dog walkers, jogger, uh, you know, white, black, m- young, old, doesn't matter. They list all the descriptions and then you send your picture in and do it. And there are people who you get cast and we're on the set. And people are on their phones as you're waiting, because it's a lot of waiting as a background actor, getting cast for another background role in uh, an, on a future date, right? It's just part of it. It's constantly on there. And that led to individual film groups like uh, Ohio Actors and Auditions and all these types of groups. And then that becomes the student films, the indie filmmakers, even um, the companies, uh, local video companies, which what I think what you do, I never knew existed, Anthony. I never knew there was groups of people like yourself, two, three people who could get together and start, and I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see, a media company, right? I didn't realize yeah. that was a thing that you could just say, I got a camera. I'm going to start making product. I'm going to keep putting it out, which is exactly what we're talking about. And yeah. then I'm going to have a real company. I didn't even understand because I had spent my entire life doing, I want to say doing what I was told, but kind of, and I- think it's a valuable skill set. And I, you know, my, like my brother's a, you know, a really good architect works nine to five, loves it. Wants nothing more. and I l- love you, but I wants nothing more than to show up, do his job, you know, go home and hang with his family. Has no need right. to And there's push nothing in- wrong with
1: that. Like, that's not like, we're not anti, I don't think we're preaching against that life, but what I think we need to realize what people we're trying to get people to realize is there is that option now.
2: Yes. Uh, so that led to then these groups and these postings and then seeing them and replying to them. Funny enough, is what happens. All of these will say, they will list an email address. And then a lot of times people will comment, hey, here's my info. And those people never get uh, cast because it's a lack of reading directions. Like right? if you can't read the first direction of email this email address to submit uh, versus put it in the comments, that right there says when you show up and they're like, hey, sit in the corner and wait for two hours, you're probably not going to listen. Not 100% mm. indicative. It's like a psychological profile you take to start a company. It's not 100% of who you are, but if you've ever taken any of those psych exams or any of those DISC personality profiles, they may not be 100% accurate, but being on the other end and taking several and seeing the results, I'm like, that's pretty close, 75%. Yeah. So it's if you have a little trouble reading directions or following the earliest steps, it's not 100% indicative that you will be more problematic in the future but it's probably close right it's probably a good sign so that became like get on facebook and i went from never being on facebook to checking it but what you have to be careful of and i fall into this trap sometimes is then you meet on set or anywhere else and someone asks for your social media handle cuz everyone's networking and then you follow each other and then their your feed gets filled all of a sudden my my news feed went from nothing but groups and job postings to everyone's families and and all these other things, which is what I was trying to avoid to begin with. That's what I didn't want. So, and I'm sorry to everyone that follows me on Facebook. I would say 90% of people I follow, (laughs) I unfollow right away, like unfollow. So I pretend like I'm still their friend. I don't
1: even, I use (laughs) Facebook professionally, but like my personal, I don't even have the app on my phone because it's so ridiculous. And it's like, there's too many people that I like, I've had it, I had it since I was like, 13 or something ridiculous you know like when it first came out so it's like i have over a decade of people who i don't even see anymore who and it's like it's so hard to be like filtered that way um but i think what you realize which is so freaking important is the great equalizer here of all this stuff we're talking about is the fact that we have social media you know and it took me because i i never was like totally off it but i went through a lot of phases over the past 10 years of like f social media you know it's nothing but a bunch of crap blah 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 and it's like i kind of started get you know listening to a lot of different marketers kind of preaching the same thing we're sitting here preaching now and it's like once my brain shift to like you know you own you own your own basically news channel and it's you know not as powerful as these like big hitters but like even as a company you know the gatekeepers don't exist anymore all you need to do as a company is to record like you said hit your three person media content team up who's going to come in for a fraction of the cost of these big players shoot your commercial and then you pay Facebook right on Facebook to put it to the exact people you want to you know there's no more having to pay the plain dealer there's no more having to pay, pay uh, plain dealers of paper in cleveland but papers. uh magazines all these different things like those are now just an option in your repertoire but now everyone has this kind of same equal playing field but unfortunately most of us have chosen to use it to put our our photos of dinner and political opinions online
2: it's fun to do it's just once again it's you've got to find and this is a i guess a professional tip you got to find balance right between how much time you spend on there and i agree with you a hundred percent i do have facebook on my phone but i've taken taken Twitter and Instagram off because I wasn't using those for any endeavors other than um, scrolling, right? Scrolling yeah. and looking. And so- Facebook,
1: Instagram, I'm bad with, but that has my biggest following. So I'm like married to it.
2: But that becomes the thing. Now, all of them, and this is where I've I've learned as I've gotten into the podcast world, all of them have a purpose, right? All of them have an audience that you want to reach. It's trying to figure out how much time and effort do I put into one, into the other. I think we were just talking recently uh, with someone, with Dustin, um, who I think is on the show, talking about how he takes content and just uh, sometimes duplicates it to multiple channels, right? So I use Hootsuite now for my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram of my podcast accounts. I do a very similar thing to where I broadcast the same message, though I do tweak it. The nice thing is having a, a, a multi a social media management software allows you to kind of, you know, quickly tweak things. Like there's only obviously 280 characters on Twitter and, you know, Twitter is a different audience than Facebook is a different audience than Instagram, than LinkedIn. They're all different groups of people. And while you can be on all of them, you have different trigger points, right? Different things that raise people's eyebrows that catch attention. Um, So I've learned to, once again, Twitter, I use it professionally, but I just push out posts. And to be honest with you, I don't go on it other than that. I don't ever read my posts. I not read my mentions. It's literally because it's a constant news cycle and it's great for staying current with news. It's just for me, I found it. Yes, my brand's here. And if you're on Twitter, it's awesome. But it it's not somewhere where I go to make connections, to follow people there in hopes of having good conversations. I don't find that exists on Twitter for me. I think it's a yeah, much I, better I, to hear it exist. Come check me out versus connection and hey, let's hook up and let's set a business thing. That's not, Twitter to me, if we're gonna break the four or five big social medias down, Twitter's not that useful in that regard. But it's nice, it's a big audience, but it's a constant generation of content audience and it's fast, right? You're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling.
1: It is a new. I look at it as news because I like. I think every social media you should cater your content a little differently to. When we were talking with Dustin, he's in such a highly regulated market that it's not worth his time to do that. But like you know, LinkedIn's kind of the business a bit more business focused. Facebook, Facebook's kind of more a consumer focused platform, and Twitter is news. Like I think the value of Twitter. I mean, like I laugh all the time. I'm not a big like t like a news TV news watcher, but it's like Twitter probably is said more on the news than anything else i mean they reference twitter all the time and it's like i mean living under in the trump administration like he's made twitter almost famous and it's like it's it's not so now it's this news thing um and i hated twitter for a while and but i've recently been back on it and i kind of use it for two things one i just post my thoughts about things not to like i don't really get all political or anything but if i have like I, I look to in the future as I as I get older to be more mo- like kind of get into more a little motivation and stuff you know like once I have a little more credit under my belt um, so I've been po- I post a lot of what I think though so then I can track back in years and be like look I said this when I was 27 and the other thing I do is I just have my feed really curated to news so like for I mainly use it for cannabis I don't like cannabis news or marketing news I don't like get into political news or anything on there but I really just went through and Kate ca- Uh, Catered my feed, and that was that's something I've done on LinkedIn too, Um, and I need to kind of do it on Instagram. But I think that's an important thing. You kind of have to decide: okay, am I going to use my? And you can have both. I think you know that's what pages are for on Facebook. But what do you want to use your social media for? I personally don't find any personal use in social media. Like my attitude is: if I'm not texting you or talking to you, then like you're not that in my life that much. You know, not to sound like grim but it's like i talk to i stay in touch with a lot of people it's like if i don't hear from you in every couple weeks um, i'm not going to rely on facebook to tell me what you're doing so i use it completely for business and my business persona but that also it's kind of like branding like you have to address your social media like you would address the company or anything you're setting up and you have to come at it you know like i went through my linkedin and deleted most people from my high school and stuff that i went to school with not because i have an issue with them but because none of them are in cannabis none of them are in marketing And they're they're just going to be posting and putting things up that aren't relevant to me. So I've ended up getting now where my feed is all these different people in my industry. Um, Facebook is a wash. You know, I haven't really, like I said, I kind of just let that go. And now Instagram is the one that kind of has where I'm stuck ciphering through feeds of people that I don't, you know, that aren't really like a part of what my day-to-day
2: is. Um, Let me ask you this then. So, and I also, by the way, my Twitter feed is nothing but Cannabis News. Cleveland Browns news and probably Call of Duty Warzone news. Yeah, right now. oh like my all god, that's full feed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I swear, because that's my three interests right now. Are I, you I, playing Warzone, BC? Oh well, yeah, I'm. Oh my goodness, we're gonna, we're gonna,
1: yeah, we're gonna have to get on and play some Warzone. Oh, I'm so that's, bad. That's been my that's been my Corona um crutch. I just, just like uh, all right. I'm gonna work and get stressed out, and then I'm gonna go blast my way through Warzone.
2: I just did a uh, a Wayward Planner podcast with Mitch Galvin, one of the hosts of Commonology 101. Um, another podcast, and he. Uh, we spent. We were going to talk about something else. We ended up spending an, almost an hour on Warzone and how bad I suck, and uh, I should still Twitch stream it anyway because it'd be funny to watch how bad I am. Uh, oh, but that's man. a separate conversation. So Twitter yeah. to me also newsfeed curated newsfeed. But let me ask you, and this is where I need help. So let me ask you some questions because I don't use the two that you keep referencing often enough, which is Instagram and LinkedIn. I haven't figured out how to, as a creative professional, right? Which is what we're kind of trying to find this balance. I love to be creative. I love to be silly. I can make, you know, a good fart joke with any of them, but there's that maintaining professional balance, showing up on time, handling your business, replying to emails in a timely manner. If it comes that day, even if it's late, I would, you know, replying that same day, things like that, right? Basic communication skills. I struggle with Instagram's and LinkedIn, especially, right? LinkedIn, I'm very rarely on. I don't know how to use to reach out professionally. And Instagram, I feel like, and this is maybe an age thing, like I'm 45 now, I feel out of touch and don't even get me started like on things like TikTok, which I which I, I, understand what it is, but, you know, haven't figured out that way to monetize. And some kids live in mansions often. So I think that's for the young, as they say. Um, so like Instagram, how do you use that professionally? to network, to reach out, to find other people? Like, and you said it's a lot of cannabis stuff and a lot of feeds. Yeah. So how do you use Instagram to promote yourself uh, besides like hashtags? Like I use hashtags, but how else do I use that to get my brand out there?
1: The As far as like reaching out the one of the, I've had a lot of success with products on there. So as a photographer, videographer, it's pretty easy for me to reach out to a company and say, hey, send me an example of this product. And I will do a quick little photo shoot for it. And then we can discuss maybe working together. So I think one of the easy, one of the first ways, the best way is just kind of everything boils down to creating that, that organic um, kind of communication. Like hashtags work well, but also there's like a line in the sand where they don't, where it doesn't always, it kind of is like how I've been viewing Instagram lately is like a magazine. Um, and your hashtags are kind of like individual magazines that curate a bunch of people's stuff. But then at the end of the day, your wall is kind of your magazine, or I've been viewing it kind of as like a diary. Um, so me personally, what I think Instagram is best for is kind of just keeping your community up to date. On what's going on? Um, there's a lot of people who do really cold calls on there or really cold uh, sales on there. I'm um, I'm someone who's not the biggest fan of that. I like to show it's you know it's a flipbook and it's very simple. And now what they're what's happening is you can write a lot of copy in their area. I don't know what the exact amount of characters is. Um, I'll try to Google it here really quickly.
2: It's pretty big. Type, it's pretty large. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Instagram character count. Yeah, it's a lot, but like two thousand two hundred characters. Okay. So you can do quite a bit on there. So I've been kind of using it myself as a, as like a blog, um, vlog, like a blog diary kind of thing. But I have that kind of looped in my overall content strategy. But cold calling is really great. I think I think brands and companies that do really well on Instagram are like service providers, photographers, um, things that kind of could play into this show in nature because you see. Like I know so many photographers who make a killing doing like family photos, and they basically just create this community online where they're constantly sharing photos. You know, the they they do child stuff, so they have all the moms are following, and now it's like this community of moms who are commenting on how cute everyone's baby photos and stuff are, and it's kind of just this this behind the scenes look. I mean, the one of the best at at in the game is The Rock. You know, it's like I, I he he's an amazing marketer and has used instagram to like its fullest potential but i think dming is also powerful there is there are cracking down on like uh don't get in the habit of like spamming people but it's kind of just that same reach out um so that's what i find instagram and then linkedin linkedin's changing but at one point in time linkedin had like a 70 percent organic reach on your post so the way like linkedin works is it works like an um, like a spider web kind of or like a not a spider web like a those story bubble webs or whatever you use in class um,
2: I always think of it uh, as like a like a I don't know now when I pictured this term you ever heard the term like back in the day like web crawler versus like Google search engine yeah where you would put it mm-hmm. in and I picture in my brain and I'm very curious because just real quick when we started talking, in one of the, about social media and you're like, to you use LinkedIn? And I was like, no, I don't work a day job anymore. Right. I spent mm-hmm. prior to being creative, I was on my LinkedIn all the time, always managing it. My picture was there and me in a suit and tie. I found it crucial as I was working a nine to five job to make connections. Every salesman had a LinkedIn and we'd share LinkedIn's and all that. But when I entered into this creative journey, five years ago, it was the very first account. As I said, I gave up all social media, I deleted. I stayed more on Twitter because it was funny and watching the news. LinkedIn was, I'm not working a nine to five job. Don't need it. But as I've come to find, there are a few more people on it, but I don't I don't know how to maximize it. But back to what I was saying, I always picture it as like a like a tentacles kind of like reaching out yeah. and crawling out, like a vine that's growing, and then the vine splits off into other vines as you is person A connects with person, you know, X down the road, then that tentacle spins blaze off into him right kind of like a living plant that's just constantly having tentacles shoot off in different directions like a tree
1: yeah it's like your roots like you can't you can't just log on linkedin and connect with anyone you want you know there's some people who kind of allow that but then there's other people who where it's like you have to basically build your connection so it's kind of like it in its most like literal form is actually like networking where you know, you go out and if you, you know, I, I'm someone who has a thousand followers and I'm connected with a lot of higher level people, especially in the cannabis industry. So connecting with me allows those people to see you. Um, and it's kind of like this thing that keeps going around like that, but what I also was on the same boat forever of like LinkedIn stupid. It's a place where you go to find jobs and that's very true, but I think people just miss, so much of what it can actually do. Like I was trying to what I was getting at the organic reach is way higher. It might not be 70 or 60% anymore, but it's significantly higher from Facebook, which is about eight and same with LinkedIn, which is about, or I mean, I'm um, sorry, same with Instagram, which is about 10. So the other issue with posting and stuff on Instagram and Facebook is they're way more ad dependent or, or where you have to pump ad money into your posts to make sure even to get your audience, 60% of your audience to see it. You have to at least dump like five or $10 into a post whereas linkedin is way more organic and then it also what i've noticed is like the feed picks up real well i'm trying to scroll through here real quick to find something i posted a few weeks ago but it was like someone once someone comments on your thing it just starts running wild and you end up having like a ton of different interactions and comments and then also what i like quite a bit about um god i can't find this i'm like not even thinking because i'm looking um. Here it's, it is. It's yeah. Multitasking. It's, it's hard. <laughs> this is all organic. I it was a I shared, I shared a guy's post about a theater shut turning its parking lot into a drive-in theater, and I ended up getting thirty interactions on it in one comment and six hundred and forty views of my thousand people. So sixty percent of my followers saw it. Or someone saw it. I guess it couldn't, be, it might not be my followers, but because someone liked it, it ended up on other feeds and almost a thousand people saw this, which is pretty, which is like you have to have my phone's not working right now, or I'd pull up my Instagram just to give you like a comparison. But I think like we have a 12,000 person fan page for the Grateful Dead. And I think an organic post maybe hits 800 people. So that's like less than eight, that's your 8%, you know? So it's like you're just getting a lot. Um, more of that on there. But the other thing I like that I was getting into is that there is just, it's professional, you know, like all the things we were complaining about on Facebook don't really exist on LinkedIn. You're way more curated who your audience is. You know, I'm scrolling through my feed now and it's not any, you don't see any meals anyone ate. You don't see people, you know, politics creep in there, things creep in there, but it's like, you know, Adidas campaigns. Gary V, Mark, you know, like Allie Allie Reeves from Midwest Canada Women posting stuff. It's like all these companies and ways to interact. So when you scroll through your feed, you know, I sit there on a Saturday and just comment on people's posts for two hours while I'm kicking back. You know, great. I love this. Love seeing this. Love seeing that. And it's like the amount of people who start connecting with you and just commenting on your posts. It's like it's truly a community of like professionals um, that don't aren't there for anything else. And it also allows you to connect at really high levels with people like I'm friends with like right here is the I'm, I'm connected and have spoke with the CMO of anheuser Bush, like their national guy um, in the filmmaking world I'm connected with the CEO of National Lampoon um, you know like Ricardo Baca like all these different um, people that are in the industry you can actually connect with and shoot them a message and be like hey just wanted to connect with you and if they accept you they manually had to go in and accept that so at least now they're on your feed so as i post articles about cannabis there's a possibility now that this or not cannabis but i just post marketing stuff regardless of if it's cannabis or anything there's the possibility now of the cmo of anheuser bush seeing my work and going oh that's some good stuff i'm going to give this guy a contact and see if we can work together
2: oh man okay so It's a lot. I know like I'm I'm,
1: kind of like I'm starting to run off the rails here, but.
2: No, it was good. I just let me go back to the beginning because I wanted to when you talk about the reach, right? Because it's something I guess I never sort of understood them, but I've gotten more knowledgeable about it. But you talk about Facebook and posting and organic reach. My mother doesn't have a lot of followers. I don't have a lot of followers, but I can post stuff on Facebook. And my mom and both of us are very small. Won't even see it. You would think it would be totally easy for her to see, but it gets lost Mm -hmm. in. The other things that come up, and because I don't post enough, I am not given a high enough algorithm, even though I'm related to her. And I know there's something built in for that, but it's like she'll say, "Oh, I didn't see that." I'm like, "How could you not see that post? You only follow like twelve people. How could you yeah. miss that post?" They've really,
1: they they've really, um, they've I don't know, if downgraded the word, but they've really downgraded posting on there because they want you to pay your money. You know, like you you will get more especially if you share something they look at article sharing now they like degrade that a ton like i've done a, little, a couple of tests on facebook when this happened just to see how it worked and like i'll post a text thing like hey i had a great day exclamation point that'll get like 23 likes if i post an article from my website it gets one
2: hmm, and it's uh- just
1: how it's set up now
2: I'll tell you, what I found, and this is a separate thing, but when I was working uh, recently as a consultant for uh, for a company in the legalized cannabis industry, working on their social media, when we would post something on there, just general, right? It's if, we, if we promoted a product, it would get very little interaction. If we posted a silly comment that was about something of the day, probably particularly related to cannabis, it would get good interaction. If we forwarded, shared an article from, and mostly from another Facebook place. So maybe that's why it got higher bumped. We shared a story or an article from, uh, some sort of Facebook place, uh, and then made a little comment, like, you know, even an emoji, like mind blown emoji or something that would get tremendous interaction from audience members, from our fans. Mm-hmm. So while Facebook downgrades it, it feels like we definitely at that end had a lot more interaction based off that content because it was I don't want to say controversial but it would just elicit an opinion in someone versus our own text
1: but we all well, that's what they're looking for
2: for yes sure. um and we had a tough time advertising and promoting because Facebook and is very like Twitter is pretty open with anything you can put anything on Twitter it seems like I know there's rules and you know the president's have some problems now but it's uh they're pretty much cannabis wise super friendly I see zero restrictions and these you actually on have to be Facebook. careful you know on Twitter like Twitter is okay. yeah, all yeah. In. Facebook, not a big fan of it, right? You got to be no, really no. careful of what it is. Instagram, shop wise, if you have a store related to it, can be difficult. But obviously, Instagram has a huge uh, picture, right? The, those influencers and the photos of the products. So obviously, there's a lot of cannabis on yeah. there. But LinkedIn, and I still like, I'm. St- when I think of LinkedIn, right. And you've changed my mind during this conversation. So much of the fact that you talk about getting distracted. I'm like trying to think of a post I'm signing in, uh, I'm creating LinkedIn as we're talking, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: I just saw your friend request, right?
2: That's brand new. I still got to update my profile. You would probably tell me that, uh, we'll do that after the fact. Cause it's hard to find photos of me while I'm doing this, but I always pictured LinkedIn as a place to help get a job. Does that make sense? Like a mm-hmm. job jobby job, like a real job, a Monday through Friday, nine to five job. I need to make this connection. So as you said, he'll notice me and hire me. But, and I always never thought of posting content. It never even occurred to me that you use LinkedIn to say, here's what I'm doing, right? I just wasn't familiar with it. So now as you're saying this and you're like, well, I, I've made this connection. And clearly the other person, as you said, LinkedIn is a lot of, they have to manually accept you. So it's a definitely mm-hmm. a curated Uh, follower feed on there, or connection feed as well, but I think you can follow people separately than connecting, is that true? Like, you can follow someone's, even if they don't connect with you, kind of vibe? There are
1: people who are, like, thought leaders on here, so there are people I follow, like, I think Richard Branson is one of them, maybe, or, like, Bill Gates, so you can follow them, but you, because you can't, there's certain people you can't connect with, but you can follow, um, until you, that, like, you basically have to unlock them, you know, it's like, if I connect with (laughs)
2: It's like a loss level in a in like a video game. Yeah. You have not unlocked Bill Gates yet. Yeah, like you can't first personally going.
1: connect with Bill Gates. Not that like he's probably someone who doesn't sit on LinkedIn very much. Um, but the other thing I love, it's to me like LinkedIn is like in, the ultimate networking event. It's like going to like the IX Center and it's a networking event for everything you could possibly think of. And then the best part, even with podcasting, is like, You can connect with lower level people, and I don't mean lower level in like an insulting way, but like you start thinking of like, I want to get my stuff on Netflix. You know, I'm going to like search Netflix right now on LinkedIn. It's like, here's a recruiter at Netflix, the VP of original series at Netflix, the buyer at Warner Brothers Entertainment, director at Netflix, award winning filmmaker, production coordinator at the Cleveland Film Commission. You know, um there was four or where's chief marketing officer at Netflix, production coordinator at Netflix, and all these people I can connect and message right this very second. Like we could come up with a message on this podcast and send it to the VP of Netflix right now. Will he read it? I don't know. But
2: <laughs> Well, I have found, and this is something I mean, let's be fourth wall breaking, part of the reason you were here and you were on Wayward Planet is podcasting, especially uh, one of those one-on-one tips they tell you is to go be on other shows because you have an audience. I have an audience. And even though we're still building, but other people, there is a lot. And actually it was the very first thing as we're talking on LinkedIn. And I was shocked by, cause it obviously I put my, I put my main title as podcaster that may alter, but we're doing it just as I was signing up and it gave me all these people to connect with. And all of them are me and you, all of them are people. It seems like with a bunch of small little podcasts, but if you find one, that's similar, you connect, they're like, oh, he is a podcaster or she is a podcaster. And then you do this, you be on their show. You once again, don't know who is listening. Even if they only have a small audience, you don't know who is listening. And I never realized that happened i did. i guess i never realized people it's like it's like a weird
1: virtual trade show man because even like liking someone's like i'm looking at this the vp of netflix the reason i'm connected to three people who are connected with him one of them being the guy from national lampoon um so it's kind of like this game of like you and one's daryl actually which is awesome um but you it's like this it's you are actually playing in this, like, it's not like, I don't want to say a game, but it's like you could at any given time just kind of keep networking your way up the ladder, which is something that would have taken years. You know, it's like if I wanted to do what we're talking about theoretically on on this podcast right now, I'd have to move. To, if this was 1985, I'd have to move to Los Angeles. I'd have to probably sit at a bar or a restaurant or go to these events or something to kind of hopefully meet someone who knows someone. Whereas right here, it's like I can request All these people, and even if they don't get back to me, it's like, you know, I could talk to this recruiter of Netflix. Hey, come be on my podcast or keep commenting on their stuff. And then if she likes one of my things back, now maybe the VP sees it on her wall. And it's just kind of this, like, you can keep working on there at all times. You do have to pay after so many connections. So I want to let people know that. Well, not after so many connections, but you're only allowed to interact with so many. Like, you can't sit and spam message people or they make you pay, basically.
2: So, what is it? Hold on, let me break that down because that's a, a point I think we should talk about because I did not realize that. So, uh, so my goal right now, especially getting started, is get connected, start reaching out to people, start that root growing and tangling off into different different directions, and hopefully get some more reach. How and I will, you know, you start to reach out. I love the idea about finding other guests and being like, "Hey, you want to be on it?" Um, kind of vibe. But how many? I guess how much d- before I gotta pay? Is that something that most people do, or is that something? No, that-
1: I've never hit that. I've only hit it one time, and it was when I was working. I like was working marketing a recruiter for a couple months, and he was having trouble getting a recruiter. So I basically was like, "All right, I'll do it." You know, just, let's get the ball rolling. And I started searching so many people that it was like it's like a hundred or two hundred people. Like, if you want to sit there, like, I, like if you want to get heavy with it and sit there for hours every day you'll probably have to pay which it's like 50 bucks a month but when you pay to um i actually have a free trial for premium it's offering me right now sweet um, but you get a lot of other features too like you can actually see more people if you pay um you can post different ads and stuff so like when it becomes that you're using this as your main tool it's absolutely worth the money but you can probably get your value out of it for free like i haven't really run into it
2: So are you focusing more on people or they have this uh, like pages thing where you just follow like news? Is that a benefit? Because I don't want to get, we talk a lot about curating our news feeds and making sure we don't get overwhelmed. And if I start, my fear is I start getting on LinkedIn and following lots of people and following all these pages. I'm just down a inefficient social media rabbit hole, regardless of what platform it is. I fear that I could go into too much of reading news and oh. commenting on news. Like, I don't want to spend hours and hours doing that because that takes away from our avenue of creating.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one is, like I said earlier in the podcast about curating your feed. I don't, re- I'm not, I don't recommend going on there and blasting through all your people or paying just to have a million people. You know, I've, I don't know, there's people out there who, would say the more followers the better i like having my followers a little more um discreet and unique um so it's like for me i not that i like i have a thousand so it's not like i'm being that critique but it's like if it's someone who isn't directly valuable to me you know like some of these filmmaker people i have done just out of like you know, my goals are in later in life to produce some movies. So it's like my thing is like, all right, let's get little. Like I think this is how. Like I just got a woman on this podcast who works for the Walt Disney World Corporation, and this is a brand new podcast.
2: <laughs> well, you're in the um, same boat I am because I'm starting to reach out to. I've asked complete strangers of some notoriety, right? Not everyone's gotten back to me yet, but I got a, I'm a like a D level, person coming kind up of C level maybe right? Just by asking through uh, Facebook. I found him on Facebook. I was yeah, like, yeah. Hey, you want to be on? He's like,
1: well, now's yeah. the hot time too. Like if you're listening to this, this should be out by within June sometime. But if you're listening to this, well, you 100% will still be in COVID in June, but like, this is the time people are sitting home. Like that's what really motivated me. I know you talked about it with me the other day is like, that's what motivated me to start this podcast was like, all these people are sitting at home, not doing as much or not able to create or not able to flex that muscle. And they're willing to talk. And I mean, a lot of my first season, three four five i guess half of my first season were people like yourself that i knew personally i could text but i messaged six people on linkedin and only one of them didn't get back to me and one of them and that's the person who was like a high shot like i tried to get um gary v's video guy who follows him around on here but that was the one i thought would be the hardest but he read the message and we're connected so it's like when he sees the podcast, you know you never like i'm just i've gotten so into the weeds of like leaving breadcrumbs man because it's like you don't you just never know when opportunity is going to come and when people need stuff it's like i've gotten i've made thousands and thousands of dollars off linkedin just by seeing a post like hey has anyone got a video guy or like someone tagging my name like the biggest photo shoot i've ever got was from someone tagging my name in a post of a woman saying hey does anyone know any cannabis photographers and it's the biggest job i ever sold it didn't require any you know it's just it's it's like there's so much possibilities
2: And all through LinkedIn, huh?
1: Yeah, and it's like, I'm not, this all could happen on any platform, you know, but I just, I think like a lot of that, to go back to having too many people on your feed, there's just not as many people on here using it for personal crap. Because like you said, you viewed it as this thing that was stupid. Like I go to college, like I'll meet people who are getting out of college and like they're like, don't even have LinkedIn's. You know, it's like, it's not really known as yet as this like, It's not I don't think it'll ever take form of like a Facebook like Facebook's become a consumer paradise, you know, like once like about to insult any old people. But like once my parents got on Facebook and my dad's 70 years old, it's like that's when I knew it was like changing, you know, and it's not that good business can't be done there and that a lot of these tactics aren't on there. But because it's a consumer driven platform, they want ad money. You know, and like same with Instagram, Instagram, I forgot to mention earlier, if you're a product company, I think Instagram is great because of the tagging of the products and the way it integrates with like Shopify and stuff. So I definitely, I'm I, like my, I, my 80% is LinkedIn. I think going all in as a service provider on LinkedIn is the way to do it.
2: It's funny. Cause I'm, as we're talking here, I've, I've done the majority of my networking connecting through Facebook and gotten a lot of jobs that way, but it has been. Once again, you start to get to follow them, and then I'm seeing their food and their kids, and that's great. It's just not my interest to use it for. I want to use it more to network, and I find the Facebook Messenger, which is the best way to kind of reach out privately is hit or miss. And I never thought about LinkedIn as this professional networking tool, so it's really altered my course of what I'm about to do. After this podcast, we'll be signing up uh, and finishing my profile.
1: I want to get you back on the podcast like season two, season three after you've been using it for six months. Well, I'm at that
2: stage. You've caught me in a, a great point where I'm about to enter into the introductory marketing phase. Like I said, I'm using Hootsuite to get these out, and those are mostly pushing awareness that this exists, right? They're like, hey, here it is. New episode. Check it out. But I haven't done as much of you know, the professional network to let people know it's there, and I just... In the 10 minutes I'm scrolling through LinkedIn, I see the possibilities. But let me ask you this, because you talked about Instagram and the influencers and the product, your thoughts on, and even some into LinkedIn, you talked about spamming it and such. I feel sometimes unsavory about the act of like hiring influencers on, particularly on Instagram is where this happens. And I find this a lot in some cannabis companies. They want to hire all these influencers, pay them ridiculous amounts of money to you know, hey, here's my here's this person's product. You, I use it because it's also awesome. whatever. And that's a very sort <laughs> version of what they do, right? And then it reaches out. Your thoughts, particularly early on, and we can take this to. I guess you know we'll talk about the cannabis part, but it can be anyone to get their brand out about putting a lot of money in uh, or where to put your money, right? So I've used a few Facebook ads very slowly, uh, but those aren't, to be honest, with you, that that expensive. They're not too bad for me. But Instagram, like hiring influencers to promote it, which a podcast is different than a brand. If you have a product, as you said, someone people tangibly can use, like say a cannabis device, it seems like a great avenue, but it they feel like your feet are held to the fire to hire people, which is gross mm-hmm. to me personally to talk about it un- unorganically is a word we like to use unorganically what's your thoughts on that and if people should do that or i mean i know there's pros and cons to but what's your thought on hiring social media armies for lack of a better term to unorganically promote your product which can result in big sales
1: it could be to me in my opinion it could be the best or the worst thing and it really depends on like an influencer should be could should consider themselves a content creator like me or you could be influencers based on the content we create, if that's what we chose to do. But then there's the people who influencing to them. It's when I think it's when you think you, your own, Word gets is important too important is when it gets to your head and it becomes a thing. Like I work with a huge marketing agency in cannabis who just stopped offering influencing. And I asked, I was like, that's interesting because I've been thinking about that. And they're basically just like, I'm sick of dealing with those people. And to not to rant sideways on this, but in the cannabis industry, especially, you know, a part of you know, we talked a lot about that next generation of people who are going to use it and like getting out of that the culture. It's like you have a lot of these you know people on there. Who are just sitting with like, oh, here's your new dab pen, and I'm sitting on 10 pounds of weed, or it's this girl who's smoking weed 24-7. And it's like, th- is that okay for your product? Maybe, you know, maybe that's what you want. But it's like, you know, to me, these conversations as as marketers and business owners and cannabis professionals, we're having these conversations about oh, the terpenes you should be having and the dosing and being responsible and this. And then you turn around and you hand your product and your brand over to a girl who's going to sit there and take an eighth gram, an eighth uh, gram, 3.5 grams of dab in one hit. And it's like, you're displaying overdosing. You're displaying misuse and all this different stuff.
2: And don't forget, she's wearing usually, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them wearing bikinis and stuff while doing it. Like all of a sudden, we asked, he had a conversation, had a conversation about influencers and in, uh see she sounds gross to even say out loud so i like like how hot they have to be right that sounds gross but i've had that conversation yeah. not that long ago legit conversations about well we got to find that fine line we don't want uh influencers show too much skin but we definitely want some because we want the young male right yeah. so that becomes these are legit business yeah, that conversations that hard. happen
1: Is that what you want your product and brand to be is the absolute question. Because like to me, the best influencers, and I'm going to reference back to The Rock, he's a guy who brings you into his life, who shows you behind the scenes, who shows you that he's up at 1.30 in the morning, putting in that work that makes him The Rock. That's an influencer I want to pay because he's not sitting there flexing his muscles on the beach holding a bottle of tequila as the sun's going down he's sitting there bringing you into his life saying this is why I do this this is why I, I made this brand of tequila this is what it represents so on and so forth and it's like that's the conversation you have you know I'm I personally you know I I think you're, you're right there are like, marketing you end up having these conversations that don't feel natural like I just did a stock shoot that like I had to think about all right I need some African Americans here and oh maybe I need someone who's a little disabled it's like What you're trying to do is show, at least in that sense, show the different people who use it. But if like all you're thinking about is vanity, now your product is a vanity brand. If all it is is about hot chicks holding your product, you know, is is your vaporizer now really the best vaporizer on the market or is it just the one that looks the best in the photo? And that's kind of a huge question you have to ask about, I guess, what your brand is. Because it's like, you know, there's going to be that space. And I don't mean to dog any of those women who do that. I mean, it's like, but that's that's going to be the, like, I think marketing, much like the industry, you know, that's going to be the adult use look of it. You know, it's like, if you want to be in Vegas at your cannabis store and have hot chicks walking around with blunts, sweet, you're in Vegas. That's your brand. That's what you're doing. But is that how you want to promote your your new pen that you want someone you want the grandma in Ohio to use to vaporize her flower. I doubt it.
2: It is a, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a fine line. Cause as you said, it can be very successful for you. You can find the right person. And some of that comes from vetting, right? We don't always think the vet, you just try to, sometimes people just look at, uh, follower counts and like, find me this guy. He's got a million. Let's go. But then for example, and I won't name names here. Um, We talk about the professionalism of the influencer. This person had a an online name. It was some sort of ridiculous, you know, cannabis themed name like Ganja Daddy or something like that. A ridiculous name, right? Which is fine. You can be that. That's your brand. I'm cool with it. But he wanted us to like. I was like, "What's your real name?" He's like, "It's uh, it's not this." But he was like, "It's Ganja Daddy." I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. He's like, look, that's what everyone calls me. I'm like, I know, but I'm dealing with you on a professional level and I'm about to pay you a tremendous amount of money and I kind of need to write a checkout. So what's your name? And he's like, well, I keep doing under Ganja Daddy. And it felt like that's not you, right? Like that's your brand. But he, and this is what I found in a few, these are the minorities that were complaining about like the small group of people. So we don't obviously, but that tends to stick out sometimes. But just a reminder, I guess, that even if you're an influencer and even if you are, whatever you sell, and there's a total market for people smoking on pounds of weed. It's a thing and it Mm -hmm. works sometimes. But when you have the side, when you come out of that world, we talk about that awareness very back in the beginning. You got to be aware that you're also dealing now with suits and ties sometimes and you want to only be called ganja daddy you may not be taken seriously, and I was refused to. I refused to work with him because I can't. You know, his yeah. name was Mark, by the way. I found it out eventually. Uh, I don't think that was his real name, but it was something like that. And I was like, okay, thank you. Just tell me your well, you name. You hit it on.
1: You hit it on. The, you hit the nail on the head. Which I, what I was trying to like getting at in a ramble, but the followers don't necessarily matter. Just because you have a someone who has three hundred thousand followers, if well, who are those followers and what are they doing? You know, especially if you're like a you know like a good-looking woman. I'd go as far as to say 33% of your followers are horny dudes sitting at home wanting (laughs) to stare at you. And it's like, is that someone who's buying your product? Is that someone who's actually investing in what you're putting on there? Or are they just enjoying the eye candy? And these are just honest, like, I'm not trying to, like, again, be an asshole to anyone. But it's like, these are honest things to answer your question that you have to think of as a marketer. You know, you mentioned paid ads and cannabis that couldn't work. But... Paid ads are definitely more effective if you can use them, I think, than influencer marketing because you get to kind of target who you get way more specific on what the audience you're going to reach is as opposed to these people who, you know, maybe they have a really refined audience, maybe they don't. And there's a lot of influence out there as you do. Um, It's kind of, again, just doing that homework.
2: Also to this, let me get your opinion on it. Something I learned also in the last three or four years, uh, that person's followers, they may not even exist. There are companies. Yeah, they might've bought who, them. So let me ask you this. So this is what I learned. I sat down with someone and he's like, oh, here, we wanted to start a new Instagram account. He's like, you want 50,000 followers? I'm like, well, yeah, well, what kind of stuff? He's like, or I was like, what kind of things do we got to put out? I was like, that's going to take us months. He's like, I can get you that in a minute. What are you talking about? He's like, oh yeah, hold on. And he went and he, he didn't finish the purchase, but it was like a shopping cart experience of an online web store. I could literally buy 50,000 followers to start my brand out. Opinions on that, because a lot of people, when they start out, if you have two followers, you may not be taken seriously. But it feels, once again, seedy and gross a little bit to go buy 100,000 followers to make myself look legit. And I guess the asterisk to that would be if you're hiring some influencers, half their followers could not be or more could be fake. And it could be a, yeah. a, a, a an empty... Purchase, you know, a totally, and like you'd be surprised. Like, bag.
1: my brother g- got me hip to this. He was like showing me newscasters, like in Cleveland, who have these massive followings, by followers. Um, these TV anchors, all these different people buy followers. So, I, I, 120% well, first, definitely think about that. And, like, in a way to know, like, you can kind of know if they're fake by looking at a lot of the accounts. Like, if you're trying to to go through an influencer and see if they have real interactions. A better thing to look at is how many people comment on their posts. The more comments they have are better than the followers.
2: That is what Um, I learned. Sorry, that is what I learned. Look at their interactions, because if they have a million followers, but each post gets like two hearts and one comment, you're like, hold on. If you had a million people, that would be a ton more stuff. Like, look at when the Rock posts who has, you know, hundreds of, like, look at that. He gets tons and tons and tons and tons of comments.
1: Or if they're a legit influencer, ask for their backend data. Like, when I go on Facebook, I can see how many people interact with every post. What is my view rate? What is my interaction rate? What are my percentages? How many people see it? And they give me the top five, excuse me, cities, states, countries. You know, it's like, if you're in it, if you really, if someone has problems giving you that in the first place, they should be wrong. And then you should take that data to see yourself
2: that's a, oops, wrong. I think that's a, uh, an interesting part is people are, we talk about nervous a little bit to say, well, I want to see your information, but I would think a reputable company, right. Would show you that just like a regular influencer should be, well, okay it's like you're, if you're a, a TV
1: channel, you're again, an influencer is a TV channel. If you're a TV channel, if you call up Fox news right now and say, Hey, I want to buy ad space, they're going to send you a giant packet that says. Here's the times that get the best viewership. Here's what it costs. Here's all this different stuff. So if you are an influencer listening to this, you know, a way to legitimize yourself is have that. I'm working with you every time over anyone else. Even if you had less followers, if you could prove to me I have a 20% interaction rate, it's on. You know, that's that's as good as an email half the time. You know, like a lot of emails don't even get 15, 10% open rates. Um
2: I think it's an underlooked part of the influencer. They focus, and we just, I mean, this is the whole point of this conversation is that creative versus professional balance. And it's probably not a 50-50. Maybe it's a 70% creative, 30% professional. Maybe it's 50, maybe it's more, I don't know, right? It depends on what you're doing. But it's overlooked a lot, even by influencers. That data sheet, it's not hard to put together. Once you do it one time, it's a little bit of work and then it's done. And if you, hopefully you're updating it because you get more influencers, but that kind of, this is a thing I always preach. Putting so much effort in ahead of time is gonna save you so much on the back end, right? So yeah. I think that's a big part of not sometimes they're afraid to say that. Well, I don't want to share my data. But a legit you know, a big media company would also share it. Gladly.
1: Well, that's your value. That's you have to share that stuff because it's it's the value that you're giving. Like I'm paying you because you have an audience. It's not usually because you're who you are. It's not usually because, you know, sometimes it's the content you create, but it's mainly because you have an audience of people that I want to see my product. So it's like you as the the channel have to show that and have to show why the value is that. I mean, that's why there's people in this world who get hundreds of thousands of dollars for social media posts, you know, because they can prove that kind of value that they have um, with those brands
2: and I think it's important to, continually as you said address that you had value once again we'll take it back to ganja daddy uh not a real person but real archetype um who was like i like i am the brand like it's because of me they come here and i'm like but your data is not solid like you don't have the stats to back it up he was so enamored with his character his his brand that he wasn't as focused on the the back end right the professionalism of it it. and so it's a big part
1: professionalism too like It provides you this reality check because I've said this before with like other creatives is like you're ultimately making something for your consumer base, you know? So it's like, it's really, you know, it's like, it's so weird to like, like I never think about, I don't know. It's like, I just never think I'm the reason people are buying me, which isn't always true. I know I'm underselling myself, but it's like, as an influencer, it's like, they're not there for you. They're there because you create good content. They're there because you, provide entertainment They're there for all these different reasons that you as the content creator have to focus in on or the influencer have to focus in on to know where your value position is, which is just business. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're making a movie or you're starting a marketing agency or you're starting a power washing company. You have to, you have to identify those values and ways to sell yourself.
2: Um, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting conversation because social media is some people, right? Look at it as just a way to to kill time, to scroll through. Some people look at it as a way to, you know, end friendships over, over posts mm-hmm. about, you know, politics and 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 all these things. And, you know, some f- try to use it professionally and it's just this, God, this balance between the two, right? I just, like I said, when I first got on Facebook um, professionally, within a couple of months, I was back into scrolling and made it. Uh, making a couple comments on things I never cared about, people I haven't talked to in ten years, and it's not that they're bad or good. I just didn't have an interaction, and now here I am. It's kind of like a diet, right? Like when you start to say, "I'm going to have a donut today," mm, which is it. good. Have a donut. I love a good donut, man. A Boston cream is my favorite. Um, so it's okay to have one. You just can't have one the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Well, right? I've been
1: actually coming up with this whole concept. Maybe I'll like. I haven't really put it to paper, but maybe I'll is it talk about to you eating about donuts. It? no it's about it's about uh it's about your healthy content consumption diet and like kind of breaking down like this is the kind of content you could should be consuming the most of which would be like beneficial self-enhancing content you know and then like your sugars at the top where that's like your crap you know like that's your fucking shit you shouldn't be um like the reality shows and the dumb things that irritate you online because that's like that's the huge problem and i'm super aware of it is like I'll like get mad about something and then realize the only reason I got mad is because I saw the post in the first, someone post something in the first place. And it's like, you now have to start thinking about, like it's in like almost now because there's so many people with so many opinions, social media isn't about staying in, like I think Facebook and like a lot of the earlier ones, especially just being my age and coming up when it did, it was about, oh, I want to be friends with everyone I go to school with and we all have to be connected and blah, blah, blah. And, And now it's just not that, it's just like, You have to really start thinking about, you know, if your old friends from high school want to sit and post like ignorant stuff online or stuff that just doesn't flow with the way you choose to live your life. It's like you're going to be seeing that and it's going to affect you like no one's strong enough. Well, not I don't want to say no one's strong enough, but like it's hard to not care about things and to not be triggered by this stuff. And it's like, you know, it's very much designed that way to an extent too. like with the uh, what do they call it? The infinite feedback loop of like the likes and stuff like that.
2: I think I read somewhere, uh, if you start to get into like the programming that Facebook is particularly, and I'm sure most of them do this, uh, especially ones of the ones that are content driven about, them, they put up algorithm on both negative and emotional posts, right? If you do a lot of caps, it somehow sometimes can pick that up more because it assesses that you may be angry, like really yeah. sneaky stuff behind the scenes. We talk about my mom can't see my my post about something cool because one of her friends is is mad about the current political state, and that just comes up yeah. more. Um, so, Facebook
1: got busted reading all your messages too. They like realize that they've been scanning private messages to find keywords and things you talk about to start pumping pumping more of it in your feed.
2: Oh, that's gross. Uh, Yeah, but I guess
1: to kind of like kind of bring it back to like some goodness, I don't want to like the content because this is social media is important and it should be kept important. But I think what's in I want like people need to take away from this maybe is like you have this. Now you understand the power. I have the power.
2: It is right. you You have it's an important decision that you have to make. And you just said it clearly before. You can choose what to react, what to find out and you can read it one time, but if you're continually reading your lost long cousin, if you haven't talked to in 10 years and he is posting ridiculous, you know, ignorant information and you're just getting mad about it, you have to say not important for what I am trying to accomplish, right? It's a constant. And this is my, if I have a huge takeaway in life, it's always being self-aware. I live my life. And I tell this to people often of trying to be like both my BFF and my worst critic doesn't always work for everyone but i need to tell myself i'm awesome sometimes i need to look in the mirror every day and i actually do this like i'm awesome let's rock and kick some ass you got to do that but you have Mm -hmm. to be aware sometimes like hey man you probably could have did better at that right it's okay compliments and constructive criticisms are good so self-awareness is a huge vital tool huge huge important because if you're i
1: think self yeah
2: And so it's the same thing goes with your content, right? If you're aware that your long lost cousin is posting things that are making you mad and you're just arguing with him or her, that's not beneficial. And you have to say, this isn't helping me. So I should cut this from my life. And I like the diet analogy because it's very true. Like what you consume makes up who you are. And if it's all sugar, if it's all crap, you're just going to be an angry crap filled person. Right. So, well,
1: yeah, I talked to my, my parents are like a, uh, are suspect of that is like, you know, my mom has these like depression issues and she sits home and watches my 600 pound life hoarders, all these terrible shows. And she goes on Facebook and reads all this crap. And it's like, all it's like, it's like you're sitting there eating, you know, chocolate all day, or you're sitting there drinking or smoking cigarettes all day. It's like, it's not going to be good for you, man. It's not that you should be ignorant to it. You know, it's like, educate yourself on politics educate yourself on other opinions sit and watch my 600 pound life like if that's what you like and that's what makes you like is entertaining to you so be it but it's like if that's all you consume all the time it's going to start manifesting into just like if you eat you know i mean you're somebody you discussed weight loss at the beginning of this in your life it's like You know, you didn't probably lose weight from eating donuts all day. You know, you had to make some decision changes and lifestyle changes.
2: Yeah, that's a whole like that's a whole nother show. But yeah, yeah. it's to swing it back around. Yeah, to swing it back around as we kind of, you know, wrap up here and finish up, it is social media is super important to what you do on a professional level. Super, super important. So the big takeaway from this last like 15 minutes is you got to use it. Just Mm -hmm. use it responsibly, right? It's like anything else. You don't know how you're if
1: you're a brand or an individual, you could be the change you want to see like you know be the brand who posts the things you know think about what think about these things we talk about and how you can help them you know like don't go online and if you get mad about what trump said today don't go post it online why because you're then creating that domino effect you're then allowing the world to be angry the way you are where it's like you could kind of stop the buck there or whatever I forgot what the saying is but
2: um and i think it's I think it's really exciting. I'm excited to, to be honest with you, to dig into LinkedIn. Um, I know we talked about it previously and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk about it. But even a little bit now in this hearing you, this is the great part about learning from other people and listening and being self-aware and having, I think, once again, a key to success is being anti-ego, anti-pride. You got to be confident, but you can't be prideful. There's a fine line, right? It's a very fine line. You got to tiptoe back and forth the confidence, but you can't be so wrapped up in Can't be ganja daddy. Enamored in what you do that you think past other people again. Um, But how LinkedIn could get me more guests, could get more people to find out about me because I've been looking at Facebook and I've been paying for some ads and I'm just like, "Ah, I don't feel the reach I want, even for a small amount. I just don't have it and no one's paying attention. Uh, Even my own family isn't seeing my podcast posts. I find that super odd. So professionally in getting a higher tier of people listening and trying to reach out i never occurred to me ever until these last two days as we started talking about it and particularly from this moment forward and i do want to talk again as i've gotten to use it yeah absolutely. Uh, obviously t- text you probably in like a couple days But like this is awesome um but
1: i just i'm not gonna be able to get on your podcast now because you're gonna have so many guys i'm gonna be so freaking popular bro
2: <laughs> so popular you never hey, talk back. to
1: you, dude. I'm so, I'm so linked I'm, and popular. Uh, yes.
2: Let's be, I'm totally self-aware <laughs> here, Anthony. Once I get big enough, all the little people. Yeah, I just created a on.
1: monster, everyone.
2: <laughs> yes. Do not fear. <laughs> um, once I, I'm just excited to join and set up my profile and then just kind of, once again, casually reach out not spend time, but just see, I didn't realize creative people, podcasters, filmmakers, which once again, seems there are people out there saying, how could you not realize it? I was focused on other stuff. I just, My brain, we have a finite hard drive in our, in our head. Right. And so I can only put in so much info and I've used some cannabis. So, you know, shit gets forgetful sometimes. So there's only so much I can fit in my head at one time. So finding this out has been like, I got to make some room, some other, you know, I got to cut out a reality show or two to make sure I can learn LinkedIn. Cause it seems it's not just a job hunting tool, which is what I would have taken. I would have taken it as a, a corporate job hunting, social media emphasis. And I just. I'm excited to learn about the potential of creating a network and building a brand without selling yourself, right? Just building a brand yeah. organically without constantly having to say, buy my stuff, listen to my show. Just, hey, that's cool. And then they're like, who are you? And it tentacles and roots out. I mean, that's, you know, mm-hmm. it, once again. It's, and there's
1: groups and like we could, like, we'll definitely do a follow-up on this. But there's groups, like I'm sitting right now just because I, originally I, I wanted a lot of this conversation to go towards creators and stuff. And we, I think it did, but I think we also really got to the bottom of the story, and now we're gonna get to like expand upon that, especially as you learn to use it. Um, but film I'm in a group right now called Film Financing Group, and there are fifty two thousand six hundred and fifty five members in this group about financing movies. Not that every movie gets bought out of here, but it's like it's kind of that same thing where you were talking groups. It's like that 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 great part of Facebook is even over here. So I'm really excited to hear your journey. Like I definitely want to chat again, like three six months, and hear. You know more about did it did it did it do as good as I said? Think it, it will do for you, you know, and how did it help the podcast? How did it help your acting career? I definitely really like to see filmmakers use more of it. Um, I know everyone's on Facebook, and you know I, I'm I'm familiar with like the Cleveland scene here too, so I know that that is the place where the action's happening. But let's fucking make the change, man.
2: Well, I think like I said though, and that's how it starts. You go on a set, and you're like, hey, did you ever have you ever used LinkedIn for this? And which is how we learned about Facebook, and they're like, no. And then it becomes and it grows. So, well, as we start today, I have zero followers and zero contact. Well, I lied. I just made a contact out of you. So I have one yeah, contact. Yeah, I was going to say, let's so go. So I'm going to update the profile over this next few days and get some stuff and some pictures and put some info on there. Do you think people as we uh, should put as much info in their profile as possible? Is that how LinkedIn or any of these pick up information or how much or little should I fill out this profile and my my college and every past job I've done, like my old retail management job? Does that apply to what I'm trying to do as a podcaster? Do you think that's an important network to reach out to? Or should I just focus on my creative folks and spurn my business folks?
1: Um, I think it's a little, a little of both. I definitely like Mine doesn't say I work for the City of Independence or Tucker Landscaping or, you know, any of those jobs I worked before I got into marketing, but I do have it pretty filled out um, with even volunteer stuff just to show, you know, like I've worked at homeless shelters, feeding people. I've worked at the International Film Festival. Um, And then the other cool thing on there, um, we do have to wrap here soon because I have to jump off, but, but the other cool thing is there's two... Kind of features that work with it. One is skills and endorsements. So like I have a recommendation from Andrea Ocampo, who's also a guest on this podcast, but she actually can, it's almost like a testimonial. Like people can write, and then you see these people write on there. So like if you click hers, you're gonna see, oh, she's a very established person. You can also put your publications on there that you're featured in, and you can also put your skills, which people endorse. So like I have 14 social media marketing endorsements. Um, those are kind of minor. And then the other thing I like. I, know, I just named like seven things, but, but <laughs> licensing and certifications on there, and that actually links in with Lynda.com. So I don't. Are you familiar with Lynda?
2: I've never heard of that.
1: It is a online education platform that that um. LinkedIn owns, that's it's like 30 bucks a month, but it's all these different online courses. So if you want to learn to code a website, to do video production, to do sales, to do business management, pretty much anything you can think of is on this website and there's web courses and it's only $30 a month. But LinkedIn bought it and put a bunch of money into it. And now all the things you do cross right back into your LinkedIn. So if I go on Lynda tonight and I learn how to do data analysis, it's going to say that I completed the data analysis course. And they have some for marketing that's like the AMA course. So like if you complete that, you can actually go pay the American Marketing Association to take their test. And then it'll say on your, your LinkedIn page, you are an American Marketing Association certified marketer. Wow. Um, so it's cool. like you kind of you want to get it like you don't want to have like dumb, silly stuff on there, but like I mean your past is relevant. Like, hey, I did sales and marketing for 10 years. Here's the companies I work for. Um, and then show what you're doing now. And you can set up your podcast as a company page. Like you'll see on mine I have Trav Media Group set up. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, but it's like a resume too. So even looking for jobs or whatever, it's like people go on there and they get a quick you know, you go on my Instagram, you're going to see that I'm a deadhead and I like wrestling and that I go cool places around the world. But if you go on my Instagram you're, or my LinkedIn, I'm sorry, you're going to see the companies I've worked for, the marketing agencies I've worked for. You're going to see my reel. You're going to see the college education I have. So it's kind of just a snapshot at you as a professional as opposed to you as a person, which I think is the decipher. One of the things we're talking about is what people really want is to have those two different lives and maybe LinkedIn's that answer. Hmm.
2: I think it's awesome, man. I'm excited to see. We have zero followers, zero connects today, and we'll see uh, We'll see where we go in the well,
1: future. Shoot me some messages if you have questions, but we're definitely going to, well, next season, this season goes through August, so next season we'll link up again and we'll talk LinkedIn mainly and how to keep using that. But man, I really appreciate this. I even hate having to kick you off right now. I wish we could keep chatting. Um, but, I really appreciate you opening up about your past. I really appreciate you kind of getting into the weeds of things with me, and I hope everyone listening got a lot of value out of us. BC, plug your podcast, plug everything. Go to LinkedIn and friend request this man. <laughs>
2: find it, VC Raymond. <laughs> uh, we're the host of Wayward Planet, uh, Wayward Sports, and Behind the Dock from Evergreen Podcast. So we have three podcasts going out, and then obviously you can soon find me on LinkedIn, and I can uh, be in your uh, infomercial or training video at some point. Yeah, if you and need a guy to – or talk passionately in front of a large group of people uh, about cannabis. I'm pretty comfortable with that world too. Uh, can, I don't do enough of that. That's a side note. I feel like I should do more public speaking. Can you repeat
1: speaking. what you just said? It just it just cut off a lot.
2: I don't do enough of like cannabis public speaking in large groups. I feel pretty good about it and I can't. That's just another thing. And maybe I'll find more places to use that skill set with LinkedIn too. That's, That's just, what I'm,
1: I'm trying to do on LinkedIn is to get into more speaking roles. Maybe, maybe if you need BC and Anthony as a team speaking – let's do it. Yeah. We talked like four
2: hours about whatever. So, but yeah, thank you we'll very much for all, having we, me. Uh, um, yeah, it has been an awesome time to dig into it. Stuff I didn't plan on talking about and, uh, lots more. So thank you very much for the tips. I'm excited to see what yep. it has. And, uh, obviously best of luck with your stuff as well. I appreciate kind of our acquaintanceship as it is our professional acquaintanceship as we've had over the last few years has been fun. And, uh, you've always been really supportive of my stuff. So I hope, uh, I appreciate that and, uh, good luck with yours, man.
1: Thank you, man. You Good luck with your podcast, and I'm sure uh, there'll be more to hear from the both of us coming soon. All right. Uh, right on, man. Later.
0: Later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Content Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the world of content marketing, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming service. If you'd like to be featured on the show or have a topic you would like to hear discussed, email us at contentmarketingpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This show is produced by Trav Media Group. For more information on how they can help you achieve your content marketing goals, please visit www.travmediagroup.com. Until next time, this is Alfred, signing off.